And so, if you would, I would ask that you turn to the previous psalm, which is 42. For our reading, I will read it to you. Psalm 42. Actually, 42 and 43 seemingly go together. There's no seam between these two tapestries. And I'll explain better. So here's Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy days. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, and of the Ermanites from the hill of Nizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would reveal yourself more fully through the testimony and through the prayer of your servant David. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, my exceeding joy. Sometimes to call God your exceeding joy is something that is easier said than, than done, or either, easier said than appreciated. Psalm 42 corresponds to the Exodus or the story of redemption. If you remember the Exodus, I'm teaching on the Exodus in one of my classes online to the Philippines. As I said, Psalm 42 and 43 go together, as you can tell, what we read earlier, 43 and now 42. They were probably one at one time. In fact, there's a story that goes with this. A certain Dutchman carried a manuscript of the New Testament to the printers on horseback and was supposedly the one responsible for there being two psalms instead of one. 
So every time the horse jolted, the rider, the rider's pen would make a mark, which the printers considered a chapter division. And so instead of two psalms, instead of one psalm, there was two. This was sung also by the sons of Korah, which was an outstanding and famous family of singers, just like we occasionally run into um, today, people that are just gifted. Judging by the repeated refrain, as you recall in my reading of Psalm 42, uh, certain things were repeated. Uh, for example, uh, when, when he talks about, when he prays to God, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. And then he would say, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then he repeats it again at the end. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Judging from repeated refrains, we have the sense that, that the writer, that the singer, is going from one state of mind to another, from the blues mood, as I would put it, to a brighter mood and back. And mind you, King David seemed anything but a moody person. And so we can all relate to him. Moody, if that's your personality per se, or, or, or not. And so we have what I call here King David's blues. If, if, if David knew, knew the blues back then, that's what he would be singing, okay? Now there's no apparent historical background to this. However, it was a time that you might note when he was not with God's people, when he was not in the public worship like what we are. Kind of like what a lot of people are experiencing, like I shared earlier about this group of people that we were with last night who have not been to the house of God of late. And so it might only have been one of, let's say, a couple of occasions that, that this event took place in which David was prompted to write in this most introspective way, in this very uh, depressed spirit, such as when he was being pursued by King Saul, when, when Saul was king, the first king, by the way, before he became king, or when his son Absalom tried to take over his throne towards the end of his reign. But regardless of what occasion may have warranted this writing, without question, it reflects a time of great depression in his life. And I note three stages of David's blues experience. And the first stage, according to verses 1 and 2, which I'll read again. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Can you relate to this? Have you ever prayed such a prayer in your life? If you're a believer, no doubt you have. David experienced a deep longing for God that he normally, if I can put it that way, didn't have. 
And trials are very good for that, especially fiery trials. When one is not only out of sorts internally, but is out of fellowship with God. He feels God is not with him. Have you ever felt that way sometimes? His soul pants for the living God as a thirsty deer for the water brooks. You can picture it, can't you? Especially if that deer has been running from a hunter. Earnest prayer is a wonderful evidence of saving faith, I might add. And it's especially great when God answers your prayers and buoys up that sagging faith in your life. But what if God seems to do nothing? What if it seems like the heavens are like brass, as it says in one place in the scriptures, and your prayers are just bouncing off the sky and back to the ground and falling to the ground? I'll read you something from the testimony of one pastor. I think of my dear wife sitting day and night, week after week, waiting at our daughter's bedside. Her patience and faith continues to astound me. She is not well, as well. She gave more of herself than she had to give, and her health suffered as a result. All in all, I think that 2019 is the year that I started to learn that only God can make things straight. Only God can grow the church. Only God can soften a heart. Only God can heal the sick. Only God feeds the deer and the Leviathan and humbles the proud heart. What is another cause of David's blues? Verse 3 of our Psalm 42. My tears have been my meat, my food, day and night. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? It's enough you're defeated and taken prisoner by an enemy, by the enemy. But what if they want to torture you by psychological warfare in order to get information out of you or maybe just for the fun of it? Add enemies who are good at making you cry. They're, they're talented at that. Suggesting to God's covenant people held captive that you are forsaken by your God. And he is not going to come to your assistance no matter how hard and how long you may pray. There was such uh, an individual. His name was uh, Rav Shekhar. Have you heard of Rav Shekhar? He was a general, the general of the king of Assyria. And if I'm not mistaken, the king at that time was Nebuchadnezzar. In 2 Kings 18, 33 through 35, 2 Kings 18, verses 33 through 35, he said, Have any of the gods of the nations, he is addressing the, the Israelites, he is addressing those that are on the walls of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah, present and accounted for. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered all his land out of the hand of the king 
of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. What that must have done to the psyche, to the soul of the people of God. Enemies? Sin is bad enough that dwells within my bosom. And Satan, that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then there are other sinners all around you, such as this fellow, to taunt you. And maybe you have someone like that that is an unbeliever that is just, I don't know, for whatever reason, just wanting to be like a thorn in your flesh. Keep in mind that that thorn did not come into your life by accident. There is comfort to be found, but where to find it? And so David consoles himself by remembering the good old days. Verse 4, back at our passage in Psalm 42. I hope you're, you're tracking here. It's becoming handy. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. He reminisces over those times, those normal times in his life when things were the way we always want them to be, right? the good old days, as it were. How his spiritual life was at an all-time high. It couldn't get any higher. As king, he would join the pilgrims as they would make their way in procession from Jerusalem, or to Jerusalem, I should say. And so he would leave his palace, and he would go to wherever they start their pilgrimage, whatever towns, that the pilgrims come from and he would come along with them as their king. But now he's going in a totally opposite direction. Away from Jerusalem, only not to come back with the pilgrims as a captive of spiritual Babylon. And so he recalls those good old days. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He, re he recalls those times and, and, and the wonderful fellowship and the hymns and the psalms and the spiritual songs that they would sing along the way and then at the place of worship. What questions make it apparent that David still has the blues? I mean, when we have our recall of these good memories, don't we feel uplifted and don't we see a change in our demeanor and our countenance and people notice that? Well, apparently, 
he still has the blues. He says in 5.8, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? He's talking to himself. Now, if you were to see someone talking to himself, you'd, you'd wonder, wouldn't you? You'd wonder about him. But this is a different kind of talk. This is like self-talk. Because sometimes when you have no one else to talk to, and when it seems like God isn't even hearing, all that's left is to talk to yourself. Let me read to you a little story about the author of the hymn we just sang earlier. His name is William Cooper. William Wilberforce, who was the one who fought for the freeing of the slaves in England, by the way, called this man his favorite poet. Now, one might think Wilberforce would be referring to John Newton, another uh, enormous hymnist as well as minister, the author of Amazing Grace, and a personal mentor in his own life. But he wasn't. He was referring to John Newton's hymn-writing colleague, William Cooper. And it's spelled Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. I always make that mistake. At just the age of six, Cooper's mother died, and he was sent off to a boarding school. This was not a bad experience for him. I'm sorry, this was not a good experience for him. He was treated badly there and ostracized by his colleagues. By the time he was 18, he became a lawyer's apprentice, and he spent the next decade training to become a lawyer, but never became one. As he was about to be examined to practice law, it was at that time, after having significant difficulties battling depression, that he had a mental breakdown. He was sent to a mental hospital. In those days, they were called asylums. One day at the asylum, Cooper found a Bible on a bench. He opened it up and he read it. He turned to the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead, which he said showed him the mercy of the Savior. He then knew that he had to go to the book of Romans. So he turned to Romans 3.25, where he read, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It was upon reading this verse that Cooper said he was immediately converted. He wrote, and I quote, The full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification, unquote. Cooper was able to regain his mental health, and he left the asylum. He ended up in the town of Olney, which was the town where John Newton was a pastor. And John Newton was in, I'm sorry, and John Newton was indeed his pastor. Newton recognized Cooper's gift as a poet, and he encouraged him to write hymns, and that Cooper did. He wrote 68 hymns in a fairly short period of time. During this time, Cooper's brother died, 
At first he took the news well, but then he was not able to cope with his brother's death and again suffered a severe bout of depression. He was able to recover, and it was in this period when he probably wrote some of the most beautiful hymns. He would eventually become ill and pass away on April 25th, 1800, which would be in four days from now. What Cooper learned through his difficult life was that in this life, we are indeed poor. We don't always see it, do we? But we are. However, Jesus is our great king. We must remember perhaps William Cooper's greatest line, behind a frowning providence, he hides what? A smiling face. <clears throat> How does David find comfort? If we read the second part of verse 5 of Psalm 42, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. As I said, he is counseling himself here, for he has no one to do it for him. And perhaps because he's on the run anyway, but nevertheless, when you need a friend, where are they? When you need a brother or a sister in Christ, where is he and where is she? But he does the right thing. Instead of being overly wrapped up in himself by dwelling on his woes, woe is me, woe is me, poor old me, and patting himself on the back, he points himself to God. Have you ever been in that situation? where you're just so consumed, so overwhelmed with problems, with trouble, that you can't see the forest for the trees. Well, that's the time to look outside of yourself. That's the time to look to God. That's the time to pray to the God of your life. It says he hopes in God. With this approach, and that is an approach, a direct approach to God, because he has that direct approach, just as all of you and I who are in Christ have that direct approach, by a new and living way that has been made for us, consecrated for us, by the Savior Jesus Christ, by his precious blood, and by his righteousness. We have the right approach. And David has the highest expectation and reason and basis to praise God based on the deliverance that he is confident that God will grant to him because of his promise in his word. Even as our Lord, when approached by his disciples who could not cast out this unclean spirit in this young lad, whose father was tormented beyond hope, it seemed like, because he says, to the Lord Jesus. Your disciples couldn't cast them out like they said they could. What do I do? To which he said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That's all our Lord said. To which he replied immediately, crying out with tears, Lord, I believe, 
Help thou mine unbelief. You remember that, don't you? Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. It sounds like the person doesn't know if he's coming or going. The person doesn't know if he's the Lord's or he's not. Or if the Lord is his or he is not. Does it? Does he? Or so we think. Because in his confession of Christ, when he said, I believe, he was saying, I believe that you are the Son of God. And on that basis, I believe that you and you alone can do what no one else can do. That no one else could do for me, my family, and especially my son. Almost all of his life since birth. I trust in you. And of course, you know the outcome. You can read it for yourself in Mark 9. King David's Blues, stage two. We looked at stage one, and now the second stage comes up in verse six and seven. My question is, what is the second way David consoles himself from past experience? We recall his re recalling the public worship of the people of God and how he enjoyed that and how that was his life. That was the highlight of his week. He read, it, he says, and I read, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Ermanites from the hill Nizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Mountain climbing is very popular in northern Israel, especially near Mount Hermon, which later becomes a place where they would put an altar. At the head of the Jordan River, on a little peak of the range where Mount Hermon is located. The little peak is called Mount Nizar, or Little Mountain. It's a range. It's kind of like our Sierra Nevadas, and like the foothills where we have our Heidelberg West Youth Town. He could hear the waterfalls roaring and the brooks gurgling and the springs bubbling. They seemed to be talking to each other, but not to him. The moon likewise is calling the deep oceans, causing the tides to rise and fall. And this is all suggested here. The sun and the rain call the seeds to germinate and to grow. The birds and the monarch butterfly migrate across great distances to start their brood. It's springtime, after all. Same with the fish, like the salmon and the steelhead trout, go to the ocean and later to return upstream to spawn. But alas, no comfort even in nature. In seven, he says, All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. It seems like he's drowning by the flood tide. It's like when we go to nature, we go to the parks, or we go to the mountains, like some of you might uh, do. I know some people that do that. I know one in particular. Like the Pacific Crest Trail that, ex that spans 2,500 miles of distance 
from Mexico to Canada through California, Oregon, and Washington. But can you imagine how things, how bad things must be when you're in God's country and you can't get your mind off of your problems? It's real bad. While the call of nature or the wilderness falls short, there is a fallback. And it's back again to God and to the love of God that reaches the heart of his child. In eighth, he declares, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer to the God of my life. What a wretched place this world is, as we are discovering more and more. How the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And if you're saved, if you're saved and you're going through this, what a difference that is. That's what David was discovering. You might say that David was rediscovering his faith at this time. He was beginning to see his God in a clearer and a brighter light than ever before. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. As Paul went on to say after what I quoted to you with regard to how the minds of many are blinded by Satan. He says, For God, who commanded the light to come out of darkness, had shined in my heart, our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels or in clay pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our We're like Moses, who, to whom the Lord spoke. As a man speaks unto his friend, it says in Exodus 33, 11. What a friend indeed we have in the Lord, like Abraham discovered, who is the friend of God, the scriptures teach. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief, griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Or what peace we often forfeit. Or what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, the depth of the riches. Not only of the wisdom and knowledge of God, but of the love and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Sadly, our communion with God can be rocked again. And that will happen. There will be other occasions of are being afflicted, are being rocked in our boat. 
just like the disciples when they're on the Sea of Galilee and being tossed to and fro by the storm. And that's because the Christian life is a warfare. As he rightly points out when he says, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourn, mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say unto me daily, where is thy God? You see, as long as the, the enemies of God are all around us, and they will be as long as we're in this pilgrimage until we're called home. Expect it. But my friends in Christ, don't forget his promises. Like his one very outstanding promise found in Romans 8.35. Read it with me. Romans 8.35 to the end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor light, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is through Christ Jesus our Lord end of promise but not the end of the promise always keep in mind and heart who is the spiritual ballast of our lives and it's not us it's God and that may be what God is really trying to show us all is that it never was us it was never me Maybe some of you are experiencing this for the first time. Maybe some not, but in either case, if it's happening, it's a good thing. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my confidence and my God. And so, just because we are Christians, we should not think that we will escape times of discouragement or despondency or even depression. And you can be sure that they will come in some measure to all of us. The psalm is to teach us that when they do come, we can do something about them. We don't need to be at their mercy. We don't. There's no reason to. And if, and if you are, it's your fault, if I can put it that way, and mine, for letting it. For letting it. We don't have to remain sullen or morose or in a bad mood or just letting our negative emotions rule us. You know how we talk in the study of James on how emotions, the word for emotions or uh, passions, is neither good nor evil, but it's the way they're used. We can have a passion for lust, but we can have a passion for Christ. It's the same passion, meaning it's you. 
someone in the 19th century, a theologian and minister by the name of John Henry Jowett, wrote to a friend, I wish you wouldn't think that I'm such a saint. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs. I hope you don't think that. But just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. I often feel as though my religious life has only just begun and that I am in the kindergarten age. But I can usually trace these miserable seasons to some personal cause. Sin, weakness, temptation. And the first thing to do is to attend to that cause and to get it into the sunshine again. This, this psalm is attempting to do that for us, to get us into the sunshine again, okay? So look at it like that. Be positive. There's a third part, a third stage of King David's blues, which we'll talk about next time in the will of the Lord, Psalm 43. And with that, let's pray. Oh God, help us, we pray. Help us as you help our brother David to overcome the blues so that he was no longer singing the blues, but instead praises to our God, who has called his people out of darkness into a marvelous light.